Hey guys, I had Daniel Friedman as my guest this week. Daniel is a photographer and painter and sculptor who I just kind of found <laughs> because the internet's awesome. Uh, I really like his work and you know it's been way too long since I've had a visual artist on, so I reached out, he agreed. We had a really nice conversation outside of Urban Beans, one of my favorite new places to talk to people. Um, I really like you know, talking to someone whose uh, role or whose media I just don't really know that much about because I can just be the eager little student and put my learning cap on and he was very patient and very fun to talk to. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, another little plug for myself, if you are somebody who's been listening to these and kind of digging what I'm doing, um, please you know, go over to uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever it's called now, and uh, leave a rating and review. Um, I think it kind of helps put my name out there. Uh, and you know either way it's just kind of nice to know that someone's digging what i'm doing uh so if you don't mind uh taking a second to go do that if you have an apple device or whatever that would be great uh in the meantime enjoy daniel friedman Welcome to Starving Artist Phoenix. I've got Daniel Friedman on the line with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Glad to hear it. Um, so, like we were kind of just mentioning um, before we started recording, so I, I tracked you down really just from an open search. I wanted to find uh, people who practice art that I just am not as familiar with. So, you know, I, I tracked you down and you do quite a bunch of different things, quite a right. few different media. So I'm curious, kind of what was the first foray into art for you? Um, it was probably photography when I was in high school a long time ago. Um, I was doing an independent project. It was, I was in this class and you could do whatever you wanted as long as you submitted a plan. So I said, oh, I can learn about photography. And so I started, I looked at the history of photography and the art of photography and I learned how to develop my own film. And that kind of took over my life and that was 1975. <laughs> and so pretty much ever since then I've been doing something with photography and, and, and I, I, I was a photojournalist uh, after college. I did that for four years. Then I was a commercial photographer, did some advertising stuff. Didn't like that as much. Um, then most recent, I was taking pictures and writing articles for a local parenting magazine, Raising Arizona Kids. But then I, when I was in college, I also took some painting classes. And since I declared my major as late as possible... <laughs> I think junior year they kept sending me letters. You have to declare a major. Give us something to work with. I said, I'm an art major, and so I was taking I think three painting classes at once my senior year. Oh my goodness! So I was in the studio all the time, and it was great. So and I had a, a painting teacher that I really liked because he, like me, he was an overthinker. So I could you know he he felt the art is based on ideas so come up with a good idea and then you figure out how to fulfill that so I thought ooh I like that because I like coming up with ideas so photography first and then painting and I've done some printmaking because someone I was buying a print from said oh you should take my printmaking class sure <laughs> why not I know nothing about printmaking so I've, I do a little bit of that though I'm still not as comfortable so photography started it all so what do you think it was about photography and just like visual media like that that uh, stood out to you um, well, I like just kind of walking around looking at things. My first, the first photographers I really liked were photojournalists. Uh, 
the guys from the 50s and the 60s who really were doing it before everybody had a camera in their pocket. So it was a little bit different. And I like the black and white. And I like the idea of looking at the world and cropping out most of it and coming up with something that would tell you a story or make you think of something or just show you a shape or some light values. And I just really enjoyed how you could use this fun mechanical toy to come up with an image that went beyond this is what I saw on this day. But it would tell that story also, but with some other kind of attitude or edge that would make it more than just a snapshot. Yeah, and I, I noticed um, just from your website, a lot of the, the photography that you have posted on there is, is still life. It's you know, the pomegranates right, and uh, right. the, the leaves and stuff. And a lot of it is you, you, you know, make paints to now have a blank canvas in the background. Mm -hmm. So you really just have to focus on the, the object itself and how its shadows are cast and how it's positioned and all the different kind of curves and edges to it. So right. I'm curious, like, what, uh, what your thought process is when you're putting that together. Um, <laughs> When I was taking a painting class, and before I realized I really preferred color field or abstract stuff, I was, I was collecting a bunch of dandelions um, to do in a painting. I thought, all right, I'll do like a, just a, a small painting of a dandelion. And so I was drawing it, and I'm being very particular, and I'm thinking, God, you know, I have a camera. I'd do this like in a second. This, <laughs> I'm really not into, you know, tiny little brushwork. So... I took all the dandelions that I collected and put them on a white piece of paper and bounced the tungsten light off the ceiling, got my tripod out and took a picture of them just spread out. And that was, I think, 77, maybe 77, I don't know, it was a long time ago. And I thought, wow, I, stuff against white. That's the folder on my computer is stuff against white. <laughs> and it's just the shape of them and the contours, like you said, and it's just something about removing the background, removing the environment. And looking at an object and hopefully to see more than just the object whether it's the pomegranate because the one the cracked yeah. pomegranate is yeah. i don't know there's something about that i, look, I, I really yeah. like this it's in my yard most of the stuff i find is in my yard while i'm doing yard work or i'm chasing the dogs and it's just something about an object that makes you see more than just the object i don't know it's just the, the mostly the shape and contours i really like so it's almost more of just like kind of the aesthetically like pleasing, um, maybe not pleasing, but aesthetically yeah. interesting um, like angles and, and definition to the object. Are, are you looking for like an emotional intonation with that? Or? Um, I mostly like the shape and the tonality of it when it's black and white. Um, like the one of the cracked pomegranate. After I graduated from college, we went to Greece to tour around and, and you could look down in the water in some of the harbors and see a cracked amphora and you're not allowed to scuba dive in Greece because these things are a thousand years old or so yeah. and that's what the pomegranate is. Oh, it looks like a cracked amphora, which is a vase. And I, yeah. Or oh, if I just find a bunch of... Uh, like I'd be taking out the recyclables and I'd see all the mesquite petals on the ground. I just like the, the different... Some are green, some are brown and they just make these patterns. I go, I really like those petals. And I looked at them for weeks and weeks and weeks <laughs> and before they got swept up, I grabbed a bunch and I just play with them. And I just... I think it's just the shape and the graphic... Uh, contours on white that I just really like because color some I do in color but most are black and white and it's just I don't know like a friend of mine said yeah you're black and white stuff I don't know, like somebody but he likes my paintings I said but other people go oh I really like the still life it just depends some people say, well it's just a leaf yeah but a leaf there's look at that leaf you know, look at the well, if you look at the leaf this way it's different than you may have looked at a leaf when it's just in a pile on the ground 
it just depends on what you like to look at. As when I look at yeah. other photographers' work, I say, well, what do you like to look at? Mm-hmm. And that tells me how they see the world. So That's interesting. And I noticed that there's an entire kind of series on seagrass, and it seems like the idea right, yeah. is like how the seagrass, how it kind of naturally washes up and the shapes it kind of naturally bends. So what was your idea behind that? Yeah, um, yeah I, one of the first ones, it was kind of in the shape of a five almost. And plus all the different tonalities of the sand yeah. intrigued me. So... Uh, I have had a camera with me, so I kind of go, oh, that's kind of cool. So everybody else I was walking with kept going because I'm <laughs> chasing the seagrass. But I, I just like the shape. And sometimes the way the, the sand would wash by it would create different shapes from that. And so it's just, I think probably when I was in college, I probably wouldn't have noticed that as much. But as I've gotten older... I'm more and more and more particular about what I take a picture of. So I might go a week and not even take a frame, but I see somebody go, oh, this is what I like. It might be the shape of the seagrass because it's, you know, in two seconds it's gone. You may never see that again because I like photographs that they freeze that moment in time and it's not going to occur again. Something about it has to be temporary. And just by luck of having the camera, you, you, you preserve that. So it used to be I like the the whole story of a tableau, whether it's someplace I'm going or people. Now I'm keep reducing it down to <laughs> less and less and less because my way I look at photography and the way the world engages with photography has changed a lot. Because on Instagram, millions of photos a day are put up, and so you're inundated. So. I think it's interesting. I've talked to a couple stand-up comedians, and they've kind of addressed how Twitter has made everybody a comedian. Like it's impossible to generate a joke that someone has had hadn't thrown out there who's not a comedian, and now all of a sudden they're hilarious. So Instagram seems like has done the same for photographers and artists. Oh, yeah, I, I think that being a stand-up comedian would be painful, even <laughs> before Instagram and Twitter, right. just because people are right, be funny. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, and if it, be funny, you're a comedian. <laughs> Tell me a joke. And it's, it's not like just formula joke. It's right. something that is unique. Exactly. And so photography is the same way. It's People take pictures of all kinds of stuff. And because the iPhone especially is so good at creating an image, you don't have to know anything, which I find a little galling. But, you know, <laughs> since I didn't grow up with instant perfection. It's like monkeys on typewriters eventually writing Shakespeare. Like you yeah. take enough pictures on your iPhone, you're going to get something good. Right? Yes, yeah. the monkeys are probably, it's not that easy, it's not that easy. <laughs> so it's really something behind our note. Yeah. I like that. So um, I, I do want to kind of, I'm going to be jumping around in time right, a little no bit, problem. I used to, but uh, um, you know, something you mentioned just about the idea that, you know, people respond sometimes to the color a little bit more in your paintings. Um, I did notice that you know, at least on your Instagram, you know, a few of the recent pictures you've taken um, have had kind of a theme of generally a, a drab background, you know, not a lot going on, but there'll be one object that has a pop of color to it. So, I mean, have you, would you say that that's something you've leaned more into lately of just the idea of um, maybe a single object bringing that color into it? Um I'm not sure. Um, well, I've been doing... Are you talking about the paintings or photographs? Um, there have been a couple of photographs, but I've, I've noticed it It seemed to, just looking at the in, right. general timeline, come along with the the Pixel series, which we wanted to right, talk about right. with you as well. And um, I'm kind of wondering if that had something to do with it, just maybe that idea of the lone uh, image of color, like the, the, the renegade pixel out there. Probably. Um, yeah, because I like color field paintings uh, like uh, I noted a couple of, I'm sorry like, like Ellsworth Kelly mm-hmm. I mean his, some of his canvases are just one color and 
Um, so probably as I've gone, I keep reducing it down mm. to fewer and fewer colors and fewer and fewer elements. Um, so maybe it's a theme that I'm pulling out of it because well, that's how that, I respond. But that's fine because, <laughs> yeah. because the viewer has their right. own ter- interpretation okay. because you're on a different side of the painting. Mm-hmm. But it is true. I think if I think about the kind of work I've done, it's mm-hmm. less and less. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, yeah, and I maybe probably because the first painting that I did in college when I re- really knew nothing or had no experience that was just, you know, 21, 21, ever, 22, that you want to put more in there because you can. Now mm-hmm. I think, oh, I can do less. <laughs> I can do less right. and really choose and be very particular. And But the, uh, I think it is interesting that you pick that out. That seems... Less so, I think. Yeah, no, maybe no, I'm projecting you, a little bit, but but that's, <laughs> but that's what you do when you look at her. You go, well, because my wife does it all the time. Yeah. To me, this looks like you go, no. She goes, no, that's what I see, and that's uh, fine, fine. So, you know, well, it's go ahead. a couple of things I tried to catch up. A couple of things that that I think kind of represent that that I noticed. I jotted a couple down, and they're they're not so much the ones that that seem like they've been done like in a studio under a careful environment. Just ones that you've. Kind of posted oh, on there, just on, you know, out in the up, like the the pine tree among the the kind of the forest of the aspens. Oh, the aspens, right, right. And then there was one that was a, a kind of a flower petal that had drifted up. It looked like from the edge of a body of water or something like that. Is like a single flower petal. Right. And those kind of struck me. Uh, and I think there's a couple that uh, were just like a green square, uh, like a, a, a green brick and a, oh, right, the a back green of those. Brick. Yeah, that yeah. was just, just last week, right? Right. Yeah. Those uh, the, those those few in there just seemed to kind of kind of a pattern of like you know for the most part this kind of single unique thing that mm-hmm. stood out from the rest. So. Well, see, I, you're very useful because now I, I, I know uh, I'm seeing, learning things about myself. But it's true. I do like to look for that element. I used to always like find it interesting when you find flowers, whether they be dandelions yeah. or anything growing out of a crack in the sidewalk. Well, that is one tough flower because yeah. they're growing out of a crack. And just right. one thing kind of separated. Um, and, and that's pretty much something I've looked probably... I don't know, maybe the last 20 years I kind of look at things in that kind of reduced field of, of, of view that I really like. But like the green um, uh, the green brick that was on that wall, yeah. um, because I've do, been doing a lot of the pixel paintings, mm-hmm. that I went, oh, there's a pixel. So when you, when you start doing those, everything's a pixel. <laughs> Every rectangle is a pixel. And so it just... It popped out, and of course, my wife posted on her uh, Facebook a picture of me taking a picture of the wall. And she's oh, the master at work, and someone I used to work with back at the newspaper <laughs> said, "Ah, uh, he's a nut," <laughs> because they're, I'm just taking pictures of a wall. <laughs> but that's half the fun. That's, I think that goes along with the whole idea of you know you project yourself onto the artist. Some people project it, and eh, he's crazy. You know? Yeah. Well, it, it looks right. funny. Right, What's sure. he doing? There's nothing over there. Yeah. That's not, is his latte over there? No. <laughs> <laughs> or his dessert or his sandwich. Yeah. And, uh, and let's, let's touch on those, that series a little bit because I, I found the, the story behind it really fascinating, mm-hmm. you know, a concept I hadn't considered before. So what, talk a little bit about how you, how you arrived at the idea of the Renegade Pixels. Yeah. Um, I was actually posting a picture on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And it was before they allowed you to, to post a whole rectangle when everything's a square. So I'm cropping it. I thought, it just ran through my head. I wonder where all those pixels people crop out go. And so my original idea was to have an installation with a pipe coming out of the wall. And every so often, a bunch of little tiny metal pixels of 
infinitely colored different colors would come shooting out of the wall and create a, a huge pile and it would you know, like a light would flash up oh, from Instagram and they would oh. pile on the floor like in the by the millions I thought I could never afford to do that <laughs> because to have those little tiny pixels made would cost a fortune sure. and so I but that was the original idea so I just thought it was funny I thought wow what if they're actually still out there and you're gonna collect all these free-range or refugee pixels or and I, and I just started thinking about, all right, if I was to do a painting of them, how would I do that? What would it look like? And so I did a bunch of iterations of ways to show the pixel. And of course, I found the most difficult way, which is to individually mask off with tape right. each, each square, paint it, pull it off, because that's the only way I get a nice sharp edge. And so the first painting took me a long time because it's painstaking, put the blue tape on and paint it, try and peel it off without, uh, it was, it took months. Oh gosh, wow. Yeah, it took months to do the first one, and then uh, I kind of got faster, but I found sheets of eight by, eight and a half by 11 uh, blue tape with the release paper on the back. People who do 3D printing use them, and I happened to find it on Amazon. I said, <laughs> so then I printed one through my inkjet printer of the squares, uh-huh. and then I just used a razor blade to individually cut them out. So. Just like that. <laughs> it was nuts. Yeah, it was yeah. just like, this is going to take a long time. But I couldn't figure any other way to do it. Mm-hmm. So, But that's the pixels. I just imagine things. I mean, pixels don't exist unless you decide they do. So, so that's. I, I kind of want to, on a, maybe a larger scale, then kind of walk through a little bit of your process just from kind of generation of an idea to actual execution. So how do you normally approach a new a new idea like that? Um, how do I how do I get the idea? Or well, I guess when when you when you have inspiration strike like that, when you think, right. oh, I wonder, you know, wonder what the, happens to the pixels, or okay. I wonder what it would look like if you painted a map, you know, inch by inch right, to scale. Right. You know, how do you take that into an actual execution that you? Yeah. Um, I usually my first the first iteration that passes through my brain mm-hmm. is something that's so grandiose and expensive, like or large, I can't possibly do it, like the full scale maps. My first day was like a like a Christo-esque where he would he would drape things mm-hmm. like huge buildings. It'd be fun to make a you know hundred by hundred foot map of an, of a place and put it down on that place. Oh, but yeah. it'd be really expensive. Right. And people would say we don't know you get your map away from our <laughs> you know it would just be difficult. So then I had to think of ways how can I actually produce this, maintain the idea since the idea is the most important thing. So sometimes I sketch out ideas, but usually. I'd just be thinking about it. I would imagine myself creating the, the thing. I think, oh, I don't have a space for that. Or it'd be too big. Or with the pixels, I realized, well, if I got anodized aluminum, how would I anodize the edges once it was cut? That'd be expensive. And, and then what? And who's going to say, sure, bring three tons of, of aluminum squares and put them in our gallery. You're, since I'm not known, it's not like, say, oh, yes, we'll, we'll sponsor this. So I, I had to think of some way to execute the idea that was doable and affordable because sure I could have a, something on a colossal scale but no I can't <laughs> colossal scale is oversight I mean maybe someday someone will say sure we'll devote a hundred thousand dollars to that and I say hundred thousand bucks people need food don't spend a hundred thousand dollars on that so I mean I, I like I like a simple way to execute a complicated idea if possible so is there a lot of kind of trial and error along the way or do you feel do you find that artists should have kind of a healthy just field of research that they can pull from of like techniques and tools um, yeah. I, I do research techniques mm-hmm. um, and I for the pixels 
I started out by cutting out different colored pieces of cardboard just to see if mm -hmm. I liked the texture and the way it looked and I didn't like that. And then I took those eight and a half by 11 pieces of uh, tape and, and cut out a bunch of squares before I peeled it off and I found that wasn't dimensionally stable and it just stuck to itself and that didn't work. And I also liked the really sharp edge so I could apply a lot of paint so it, it, you could yeah. feel it. There's, there's a lot of relief there. Um, so I look at, I kind of, sometimes I'll Google the process or materials and see what other people are doing. Sometimes you'll say, oh, no, not that, but what I want to do is, and then you go, oh, I see. Because most art is, you derive it from something you've seen, and then you take it your way. Um, no one invents the wheel or reinvents the circle because you don't need to. I mean, if someone would look at my pixel paintings and go, oh, I wouldn't do it that way, but I think it'd be cool if I, and then they go off on their own. So, and that's kind of fun. And I do look at uh, different artists that I like. They don't necessarily borrow from them, but they make me think of what I would do in the same vein, but different. Like Ellsworth Kelly would just do some canvases that were not standard shapes, but against a white wall, they're just amazing to look at. And so I always think, all right, well, I'll have a black background of the pixel paintings because I can do all different colors that show up. Because I was fooling around with Photoshop and I was swapping out the backgrounds on pictures of pixel paintings, see what other colors. I go, no, nah, it's got to be black. Because white just kind of destroyed the contrast and different colors would just kind of, I don't know, I kind of like green a little bit, but I thought, no, it's got to be black. But with Photoshop, I could then go through a bunch of iterations without having to do yeah. a bunch of paintings. So I thought, oh, this is cool. Give me a couple hours rather than weeks and weeks and weeks. And so you really, it really can be kind of a game changer to just stumble across tools like that that can mm -hmm. just make your life a little easier. Oh, oh, I use Photoshop for <laughs> mm -hmm. all kinds of things because yeah. I can prototype and test out. Mm -hmm. I go, oh, man, that sucks. I'm not doing that. Because sometimes <laughs> they go, oh, that's not what I was thinking. And then, But then it takes you one step further because you don't go down that path that is the wrong way so I mean I started photography before there's any the idea of Photoshop so the idea that you can composite things and move stuff around is is nice though when I take pictures I use very little Photoshop except for contrast and color because I don't like that super manipulated look sure. it just I go because I'm an old fart so I think that's not the way we did it in my day but I just don't like the look of when people take that saturation slider and go up to a hundred and grass it looks like a tennis ball it's like no no so i like photography i like to keep pretty much traditional and then painting can be whatever you want and i i do I, I am really fascinated by the idea kind of the artist's relationship with technology just because mm -hmm. it is something that i mean you can't ignore but just like you said I, at a certain certain point like it feels better to be a purist I think right. <laughs> it gives you a little more sense of accomplishment when you do things kind of maybe the old-fashioned way yeah. Um, yeah I like when I look at art I like art that the artist had to touch whether it's painting or ceramics or even printmaking because it's a physical thing I've seen some amazing images that are purely digital and I think wow I never would have thought of that I really like it but the fact that it's all on computer I mean, I have seen some stuff on Instagram and in real life that I think, no, no, you can do all digital because if you use it right, it doesn't look like you just did copy-paste from somebody else's image or just a uh, Photoshop filter, which everybody has, but it's really took it beyond just the basic uses of it. So you have to really yeah, accept and reject technology at the same time. 
So, uh, when it comes to actual like kind of technique like that, um, I know one of the things that you you first mentioned early on, we were just talking about your, your photography, just on playing my background, is that you threw up like a tungsten lamp and, and got it went and uh, used that as your as your lighting for it. So, how how much knowledge do you feel like an artist and a photographer needs to have when it comes to things like that, like lighting setups and, and actual kind of camera technology and settings and things? Like that? Um, well, I only took one photography class, was how to develop film. Um, and that was 1975 and then I figured I'd look at magazines especially look at commercial like fashion stuff or, or product shots and I kind of go alright I look like there's one light source and then you look at photography magazine and then especially with digital the mm -hmm. feedback in it is instant so you can take a picture you go nah that's not it and you adjust the play with the lights you go okay I see and you look at the stuff they sell for lights a way to diffuse the light source alright so how do you get soft light there's lots of ways, and so you buy foam core, or you buy something to diffuse the light, and you realize, oh, it's not really that hard. Um, a long time ago, see, I, I was a, I assisted a guy. He did a lot of fashion stuff. He also did some product, and he had a light box, you know, that you put your strobe head in, and he was just tilt it and use foam core to reflect the light. I went, duh. <laughs> I had been doing the same thing, but I didn't know you could actually buy an actual light box. I was kind of just started. I said, all right, I can buy a light box. How hard can that be? And so then you realize just diffusing light or keeping it harsh, and you can buy all kinds of stuff. And with, well, with digital, the feedback is so quick, you can do a lot of versions of something in a couple hours uh, and, never have to, and never have to shoot a frame of film or spend even a penny. You know? <laughs> because you can look at other pictures and go, okay, I see the light is really soft, or I notice that X or Y is happening, I, and just reproduce it. You don't really need to go to photography school because there's no cost to just playing around, which is a great thing about digital is the feedback. You don't have to take it and get it developed. You go, oh. Instant, yeah. You see, oh, man, that sucks, try it again. Because the first time I developed a roll of film, I'm unfurling the, the film off the reel, and it's still wet, and I'm looking at it up against the light. Ugh, yuck. Yeah. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> I got one frame. Most of them were not exposed correctly, or they just didn't look like anything. And then it's an investment, and you got it, yeah. Yeah, and you have it go, okay, next reel, I'll try this. And that, so that feedback loop is a lot longer, but when it's a physical object in front of you, then it kind of go, oh, I see. I blew it. <laughs> so, does that mean you kind of had just a natural eye for it? Or do you feel like that eye for lighting and stuff like that kind of develops as you go? I think it, I think it developed as I went because mm -hmm. I first preferred all natural light photography. If it wasn't available light, I for a long time I didn't own a flash because I didn't want to, I didn't like the artificial light. And then, of course, you see a Diane Arbus photo and you realize, oh, artificial light can be amazing. Of course, she had really oddball subjects, so that helped. But, um, <laughs> So mostly I liked available lights, so I would learn to work within that. And then I just kind of slowly expand what I wanted to do. Well, I want that soft look. How do I get that soft when I'm doing a portrait? Because like the light from an umbrella. It can be really pretty because it just kind of wafts over people and it's pretty. I thought, oh, I can get an umbrella. And so I got an umbrella and then you get reflectors and you just start accumulating junk <laughs> spending all your money <laughs> doing that but I just kind of slowly added things to my uh, repertoire my repertoire yeah. of, of 
ways that I would shoot or a subject that I would shoot or way I would pro approach the same subject I'd always be doing. So I just kind of, because all through college, I took a lot of pictures. I uh, started working for the school paper. Um, probably spent way too much time taking pictures and not enough time studying, but hey, <laughs> did it hurt me? No. It worked out in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it worked out in the end. But, uh, you know, I think most of my college years, the best parts were some of the things outside of class because mm -hmm. I was just like, all right, what do I want to do? And how am I going to do it? Because there are other photographers on campus. Mm -hmm. And so you ask them, well, how'd you do that? Or, you know, what is that process? Or how did you develop your film since so all black and white? And then you just kind of accumulate techniques and approaches and you put them together. And digital just speeds that up. Going off that idea a little bit too of just being able to work with other artists and kind of trade tips and mm -hmm. tricks. I mean, how, how comfortable were you kind of being into that community, I guess, the word I'm how do you How do you find yourself in that community? Well, um, since while you're taking pictures, you're by yourself pretty much. You're in your head and you're in the dark room printing pictures and you're in your head. So you mostly kind of have to seek out other people. I mean, I find that now I work out of my house, so I don't have any overhead. And so I find I spend a lot of time on my own working on ideas. And so that's one thing why I joined the 515 Art Collective is because I thought, all right, I need to get out of the house and get feedback. And then when I took that printmaking class, a lot of the people that are, I, that are in 515 were in that class, or some of them were. And so I started to have like a community of artists that I knew because I was had been working at a magazine for a while, so any artwork I was doing was just kind of on my own. Um, so it just... I think it's really important to find people that you can bounce ideas off of or who will give you a critique, like, to say, dude, what are you doing? Or, that's really cool. Or, oh, I thought it was going to be this week. Say, well, like when you were saying that you noticed that I had just a few elements in a background, I thought, oh, it's good to have someone tell you what they see just so you don't end up in such a narrow frame of view that you don't see yourself. Yeah. Getting into that feedback loop of right. your own. Right, thing, and yeah. you, sometimes you need someone to contaminate your feed, feedback loop, so you say, oh, well, I'm actually making a commentary on this. They go, really? <laughs> In what way do you think that? You don't see that? No. Oh, and it's good to have somebody say something. Like when my wife says, all right, to me that looks like, I say, oh. And then, like I had done a rebar sculpture a long time ago, she's, all right, to me this looks like and that's not what I was thinking of at all, because I had it from the original idea. I went, that's what you see? She goes, yeah. Said, huh. All right. And then, of course, then I couldn't stop seeing it like that, which is fine, because it was already finished. But, you know, for every, there's so many different opinions. And so it's, I mean, sometimes people will say, oh, no, you shouldn't do it that way. You go, I shouldn't? I must, because you told me I should. <laughs> because uh, it's just... Everybody has their own way of looking at it, mm -hmm. and it's interesting to see what you'll hear because, and if you have other artists who know how to critique, meaning not, I like it, I don't like, but I notice that you use a lot of color right out of the tubes, you know, why would you do that? Yeah. Because my painting teacher in college is like, you don't let Grumbacher or whoever decide what your color you use, you right. always mix Makes to get the color it. you want. And so that really stuck with me, I thought, well, duh. You know, just because it comes in this yellow doesn't mean you can't add something to it. You know, so you have to think about what do I, what am I looking for? So, that's 
interesting. And I do want to get back to 515 a little bit too because I'm curious about the whole idea, but since you did bring it up, the kind of the other medium we haven't really talked about yet is your sculpting. So I'm curious right. why you decided on rebar as the, the, re the resource that you're going to use for it and what you would do. Yeah. Um, when I started uh, rebar, I thought, I thought I would like to do simple charcoal drawing, but in three dimensions. Mm. Well, what would that be? I said, well, I thought it was up like rebar because, and so I, uh, so I got a, a oxyacetylene torch that I started to bend it with. Um, and, and I had, I'd been teaching 10 years and I got to a point where I thought, I have my sanity, I have to stop this. And so then I started making this rebar sculpture and, um, and mostly it was three dimensional drawing. And that's what started that. I don't do. I don't really make rebar sculpture anymore. A because I ran out of space to store this stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, they, I. It's not. Most people can't buy it because if you have kids, it. it it's just precarious. Um, I have a bunch in my yard. I have a big, re huge rebar fish in my front yard. Um, but that was very, pretty much drawing, and I. I used to have a place in my backyard amongst the Palo Verde trees and I noticed that the shape of the rebar red fish imitated a lot of the Palo Verde, the way they kind of grew at asymmetrical ways. And I thought, wow, I wonder what it would have like if it had been in the middle of maple trees or oak trees, which grow totally different, yeah. but it's very organic and based a lot on plants. Um, but yeah, most of that just exists online right now because I haven't made any rebar sculpture <laughs> since I, I I did make a, a stand for a, a mailbox for my front yard. But. When you're approaching something three-dimensional like that, do you take the same approach as your photography where you're going in looking at just kind of interesting angles and things? Is there something more abstract to it? or? Um, yeah, some of the, the rebar sculpture was based on the shape of desert plants and how they are treated by humans in terms of changing the landscape. So a lot of times because rebar, it takes so long to bend it uh, with the flame, mm -hmm. I would kind of see myself in my head trying to see how I would end up with a certain shape or height because since you just couldn't bend it without heating it up, yeah. you had to be very careful. You put a bend in here, then you could swivel that around, then you'd start to bend this around. So it wasn't like tying shoes with a lace. <laughs> Imagine if laces were steel and you couldn't bend them except for tiny little places very very slowly so that way I would kind of see myself in my head create them and it's all right I, I see the shape sometimes I draw it on a piece of paper and think how am I going to get that shape without <laughs> burning myself with the hot torch because <laughs> you yeah. yeah because it's you know it's incredibly hot or what series of bends would I have to make so that I could then end up where I wanted to end up so there's a lot of planning and a lot of being careful to not touch things that are still really hot. <laughs> Imagine. Yes. Um, so I'm curious since you brought up desert plants and that idea, that's, that's kind of popped up a couple times as you talked and I noticed that you called your, your design page anhydrous designs. Right. So would you say that the environment that you live in influences you a lot? I mean, would your work be different if you weren't in Phoenix? I think it would because um, the anhydrous design came, I was doing a sculpture and I think I had just seen I don't know who it was there was something they had named their uh, probably a housing development like uh, lush green acres of the desert estates <laughs> I go 
Who are you we, kidding? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. I said, come on. We live in the desert. Yeah. It's dry. I said, it's an anhydrous. I thought about it's an anhydrous environment. I thought, ooh, anhydrous design. That sounds cool. No one will remember it or know how to spell it. They'll never find my website, but I really like it. So I quickly got on GoDaddy and registered the domain. Um, I just like the sound of it. And the fact that it's very dry out here probably does have a lot to do with, with the light. I mean, when it rains here, the light is totally different. As opposed to the unrelenting sunshine and blue sky that we have, that creates a certain kind of light. That if you lived in Ohio, we, you know, if they have a clear day in Ohio, it's like, oh, let's go outside. The sun's out. Um, because when I lived in Ohio, the overcast light was perfect for Triax film because it's just the way it rendered the shadow or lack of shadows is it. It was made for that. Out here, pretty much wait till beginning or end of the day yeah. so that the light isn't super super harsh but the harsh light makes us who we are in some ways so it's an interesting uh thought to take away very thought-provoking <laughs> idea but, um so going from a practical standpoint as well being in phoenix i i think that it's it's interesting that um visual artists and things like like you who they have their their very like kind of physical tangible product that they have it, it kind of relies very much on other venues and stuff to to display it to people. So how do, does somebody, you know, approach a, a gallery or just a, an artistic venue, a coffee shop, to kind of discuss how, how you get your art to the masses? Um, I don't know. No. <laughs> um, I think a lot of it is, like, I have some people in 515, they were displaying in the uh, it's a coffee shop in the Melrose area. Um yeah, I can't remember it, but it's, it's on 7th Avenue. And since they noticed they always had artwork up, they say, hey, can we put our artwork up? Yeah. And that's pretty much saying, hey, I have artwork, can I put it up? And they'll say, sure, or go away, depending. <laughs> on, miss, okay. Yeah, I mean, um, I, used, I used to show my rebar sculpture at the Red Dog Gallery, which used to be on 3rd Avenue, off Roosevelt Row. And so... Um, they didn't have any space to display it inside, so I load up my van and take it down there on a Friday and set it up, and then put it back in my van and take it home because you need a lot of space for that, which is probably why I only sold a couple pieces because most people don't have space like that in their home. Uh-huh. This big piece of gangly rebar, which is why now most of it is in my yard. Um, but I don't know. I think basically you have to get up the confidence I to approach a gallery and see what they show. Um, I don't do enough of that because I would get, I'm able to distract myself with, ooh, I want to make this. And so I forget that I need to get out there and see people. But that's why I got, became part of 515. Well, we got to be part of group shows and get a solo show once a year, that, which would mean I had to create stuff. But I figured that was a pretty good step for being able to be more public is by being part of a group that has existed for a while and it's been uh, great because the people are in it very serious about their art but they're not pretentious and they do a lot of different kind of stuff and it's I mean it's it's perfect for me at this point you're a relatively new member to the to the group correct? yeah it's been a little bit less than a year and now we're looking for another a new member so if you hear if you know anybody um, but yeah it's, it's just been a year because I, when I was working the magazine, I left at the end of October 2014 because I just thought 
you know, I'm getting to the point where if I don't do the art full-time thing, it may never happen. And that would really be sad because I've always thought, what would it be like to just work on my artwork? And that's my only, that's, that's what I do. Cause, I mean, it's a real, it's a luxury because, you know, the whole starving artist thing is a very real thing. And I would always do some artwork in between while I was working a regular job. But then, like I was a teacher for 10 years in public school. And at the end of the school year, it would take me two weeks just to decompress because it, you're totally absorbed into that the entire school year. And so sometimes I do artwork that I put up in the classroom at the beginning of the year or use it, artwork to get as writing prompts or all kinds of stuff, but never where, <clears throat> where i able to live and breathe every day. All right, what am I going to do art-wise? And get an idea, follow it, try and produce it, and, did, and just do that. So this is like paradise for me, last almost three years. Uh, where I just been doing the art because I thought, you know, I'm lucky enough that I'm not going to starve, that I can do it, and so I just want to see well, where will this go. And was that a uh, a nerve-wracking decision to make when you finally took that step? Then, or would it just seem pretty natural when it happened? You know, it seemed really natural because the the full-scale map paintings that I did, I actually had that idea in college. In 1979, I remember talking to my painting teacher, and he said, that's a really good idea, full-scale. I said, what if we had maps that were full-scale? He goes, that's a pretty good idea. And I literally thought about that in different ways that I could do it. And that was mostly, how can I do this so I actually can fit it in my own house? Because, ooh, what if I had 8-foot by 10-foot canvases? Where are we going to put that? Where are we going to paint those? I can't do that. So then I ended up with the smaller ones, but I always, I would kind of consider over the decades, how would I make that look? So then when I actually, the first day that I actually didn't go to work outside the house, I started in on that. What am I, how am I gonna do this? I started doing some drawings and some uh, looking at maps to look at the, some of the different symbols and the way they approach stuff. And it was great. I mean, it's like being, it's, I, was, I was gonna say it's like being on vacation, but vacation, you're on vacation from something, but this is mostly just being it's like, sabbatical, <laughs> kind of where you finally your mind is free yeah. and you're actually going to think about what you want to think about. So that's what it's like. So, uh, if people are thinking, Oh, I envy him, I said, Yeah, it's great, I really enjoy it. I mean, there's a lot of years where I thought, There's no way I can do just artwork, that's ridiculous. Now, yeah, it's ridiculous, and I'm going to do it. That's great, so, yeah. So, and so what would you say connects all the members of Pi 15? Is there a, a common thread? or? Um, I think we all take our artwork really seriously. We're not just farting around. We're not just trying to be, oh, let's, let's make believe we're cool artists. Because if you look at all of us sitting around, you wouldn't say anybody's trying to be cool. We're just, they're just a bunch of ordinary looking people who happen to do extraordinary things with the materials that they have chosen. Because everybody's fairly different. And when we have group shows, it's amazing how many different ideas and approaches there are in this tiny group of people. My parents were down at one of the shows. My mother says, well, there's certainly a lot of different things here. I said, there you go. Yeah, yeah. and so that's, that's what I like. Uh, would, would you say that, I mean, I know you kind of touched on it a lot, but what are some of the kind of the pros and cons of, of joining a collective versus, you know, being a solo artist? Um, I think the pros are is that you're not isolated and you're not just in your own head or your own echo chamber. Um, 
she'll get some feedback and support. People will, you know, they'll say, well, I don't know if you want to do that, or eh, I would try this, or like I asked somebody, I said, what do you do when someone says, uh, donate a piece of art to a silent auction? And they say, well, you know, if you really like that group, donate some money to them because you'll be unhappy doing the silent auction thing. They had all tried it, or several people had tried it. They go, we don't do that anymore because it's just, you end up thinking, oh, this should be a $400 piece of art and goes for 75 bucks. And you think, I could have just given 75 bucks to these people and not felt demoralized because you don't want to sell something cheap because you really value it, just like, I've seen some artwork, and I think, that's too cheap. If I bought that, if I had room for that, I would say, i got to give you double, because I'd feel bad. I mean, I've, I don't know why, maybe people think, i just get it, got to get it out of my house, which is legitimate. <laughs> Sometimes I think with my rebar stuff, I was about ready to just give it away, because actually, someone I used to work with, she saw a picture of one of my uh, pieces. She goes, oh, I really like that. I said, I will bring it to you, because <laughs> it was in a, cl- near, in a closet, taking up a lot of space. And she really liked it. That was good enough for me. Right. So, That's, so that that leads me to a question I, I ask a lot of different artists. It's something again that kind of fascinates me is the idea of putting you no know, worth to your to your art. Mm-hmm. So especially when you're making again something very physical, something that actually you know you had to purchase your own resources to to right. make. You know, how do you evaluate that? Um, I kind of look at other people's stuff to see what the range is, and the range is huge. I mean, then you look at how many years experience, how much, what kind of sales history someone might have. Um, and I also just think, if someone gave me a hundred bucks for it, would I want to give it to them? No. If I give someone to buy this for 2,000 bucks, would I? Yeah, but would they? No. So I kind of think, what's fair? What's in between? So I think, all right, 400 bucks for this. I'm unknown, but I really, I, I suppose if I, if my financial picture was that I, I don't care, I have to sell it, then it'd be different. But if, you know, at some point, a lot of people would say, well, I just need to buy new materials to do another one. Mm. That's fine. I mean, you don't want to be too cheap if you can help it. But there's a pretty highly regarded Indian artist, um, Dan Dominga, that I took pictures of him years ago. And when he was in art school, he would sell the drawings for five bucks because he needed the food. He needed the money for food. And he could also buy art materials. And so now, you know, a small five by five painting goes for like 8,000 bucks. But he doesn't need to sell every solid thing and people will pay. So what will people pay? I have no idea because I haven't sold much stuff and I would love to, but that's not the aim. It's not like, oh, I'm gonna do this so I can sell for what, if someone wants to buy it, Really? <laughs> you do? Oh, great, great. I'll bring it over to your house. <laughs> um, but mostly, right, at this point, I'm lucky enough to be able to create the art just to see what I come up with. That's not really your focus. and No, yeah. because then I would really starve if I, if I had to... I don't know what I would... If I had to move it quickly, yeah. would people buy it? That'd be really insulting. Here, 25 bucks. No, thanks. thanks. Oh, man, come on, 20... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what people think when they. I mean, I don't buy a lot of arcs. My walls are already full. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have bought some stuff, and I. I mean, I don't have thousands to throw out a piece, so I just wouldn't even consider buying it. But it's you know, three hundred bucks. I go, that's amazing. 
that seems reasonable. I don't want to insult anybody, sure. but I'm not, you know, I'm not a billionaire, so it's not like I can fill warehouses full of stuff that no one will ever see. So. It's pretty subjective, it seems like. Yeah, oh, yeah. oh, completely. Some <laughs> okay. people like stuff. I go, you like that? Of course you do. <laughs> yeah. Awful. Well, I, I think there's something to the idea that, um, you know, you're, you're in it for the creation and not for the... Um, I guess the value of the the, the profit of it, right. um, because I think that's something that kind of scares off a lot of people who are initially trying to be artists. Is that how am I going to make money off of this? But sometimes you don't have to worry about that. Well, yeah. Well, and even if you think you want to make money off mm-hmm. of it, doesn't mean people will buy it. I mean, it's almost better to make art your side gig and see if people end up buying it. But because you don't want to make things just because people will buy it, because then you don't really you're not true to yourself. Mm-hmm. And then it's just kind of bogus, and somebody may notice it. Oh, you're just doing this because so-and-so sold this. I mean, I don't know. Um, I have a cousin who is an, an artist, and he's been in New York for years and years and years, and I think he sells some. I don't think he makes a ton of money from it, but he just keeps doing it. And he teaches art as his main gig, but he also has a lot of time to paint. So he's been doing it since the early 70s, and he just plugs away. And I don't know, I don't know what his sales are like, but I think he's just always done it because that's just he can't not do it. Interesting. Yeah, just, I don't know. <laughs> the whole money aspect of it. it yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just the way people are. I mean, I guess uh, we can't he, help but try to. Yeah put a value on things I guess yeah I mean you said that you were an actor a little bit yeah (laughs) yeah I mean it's probably hard to get that many there's not that many productions going on in the valley so you might get a great part someone said well you have like 100 bucks they go but it's a great part I'm gonna do it (laughs) and that's because you want to do it so yeah well I think that's a I'd like to kind of wrap up with the the same couple questions I ask everybody first off um, doesn't have to be within your same media or anything like that but uh, just any other artists in town you want to give some recognition to a little shout out to Um, well all the people in 515 uh, Marlis Kubitschek has taught me a lot about printmaking as has Wendy Willis Um, see now I'll just end up leaving people out but (laughs) everybody in 515 they they're so different um, and you can find all of them too at, at 515.com. Yeah, F I V E Air. F I V. Yeah. Yeah. Five. Spell it five and fifteen arts.com. <laughs> yeah, it's, I never go to my own website, but and we're on Facebook, um, and we're moving to a new space on on Grand in the Chartreuse Gallery. We're going to be 515 at Chartreuse starting in March. Oh, so art art detour. Um, so. And actually, Donna Atwood, she makes a lot of prints, who, who, who's the one who said, oh, come take my printmaking class. And if I hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have met Marlis Kubitschek and Wendy Willis and a bunch of other people. And that really seems like a, a skill that artists of all media seem to want to know a little bit about printmaking. That seems to be something beneficial for everybody. Yeah, you can make editions, yeah. and there's so many different processes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ridiculous. There's so many different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And you, since you can do an edition of 10 or 20 or 30, 40, then it's not just one of one. Mm-hmm. It's one of 50. And so it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it drives me crazy because it's, I, I'm not sure where I am with the materials and the stuff I like to do. I'm still kind of discovering, but it's, it's fun and, and really messy. <laughs> you end up with ink all over you. So. Uh, anybody else go off the top of your head? Anyone else come to mind? Yeah. Um, 
Kim Boge. She does stuff I just I wouldn't and can't do because she's just very intricate and detailed. Um, and so it's just kind of fun to see this stuff she does. But I don't know that many people because most of it on my own. Because I, I know people from my commercial photography days right. and from my magazine days and my teaching days. And now I'm three years into my art days. So I've kind of divided my life up into different sections. So ask me in five years. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, next thing I'd like to ask is any personal projects or websites, anything you want to vlog there? Yeah. Um, I just finished setting up my Squarespace website, Anhydrous Design, A-N-H-Y-D-R-O-U-S Design. Uh, Dot com and I guess I should put a link to my Tumblr on there of the okay. same name just because it has a bunch of other stuff on there but um, but I'm on Instagram at Mr. DHFAZ and I'm on Facebook and usually at home with the dogs trying to <laughs> just doing artwork and then they they find you on Facebook through Anhydras or is it a personal account on is Daniel Friedman okay yeah. perfect um Last thing I'd like to ask everybody, just if you were to encounter somebody who is trying to do what you do first, you know, first time jumping into it, what one piece of advice would you want to give them? Um, be true to yourself. Create, don't create art, either paint or photograph or draw. Because my painting teacher said, don't, don't do art, just paint. So be unselfconscious and do what you do because you want to, not because you think it's what other people will like. I like it a lot. Don't do art. Just do just, what you do. Yeah. 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 Because you, yeah, you get to be unselfconscious. If you think, oh, is this art? Is this art? You'll end up with not your stuff. <laughs> and it won't look authentic or true or genuine or whatever. I love it. All right. Daniel, thank you very much hey, for your I time. Appreciate it. <laughs> you're, you're... Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.